you would turn in your pew Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 12. And as I said in my email earlier this week, this is the largest chunk of Deuteronomy. We're going to be not looking at all 15 chapters from 12 to 26, but we're just going to be looking at this first chapter, and you'll see why here in a moment. But Deuteronomy 12, we're going to be reading the chapter in its entirety. You know, one of the misconceptions of Christianity is that you and I and those who follow Jesus are a bunch of fuddy-duddies. That what we really like to do is see where somebody's having some fun and seek to spoil that fun. We like to walk around with a frown on our face and if somebody's laughing or if somebody's enjoying life, then we like to say, hey, did you know you need to do this or that or you don't need to do this or don't need to do that? Perhaps you even feel like that sometimes when you interact with Christians throughout our city. They don't really enjoy life. They don't enjoy following Jesus. In fact, they like making everybody's life a little bit more difficult. And uh, I think a lot of times if you're like me, perhaps you've experienced that in your own church experience. You've experienced churches that give you a set of rules of don't drink alcohol or don't play cards or don't do X, Y, or Z. And they have missed the main point of what the Bible teaches about a relationship with Christ. And so we're content with taking our convictions and foisting them on other people as though that is what the gospel is. And, and, and not only does that, not only in my church experience and perhaps in your church experience where you're told don't do those things, you're also told, well, if you really love Jesus, you'll come to our church. Because God is on the move in our church. All those other churches out there really don't get it. And as we pray for other churches throughout our city, we know that that's not the case. But don't get me wrong. There are plenty of churches even in our city who don't teach the Bible. There are plenty of churches in our city and in our country, in fact, in the world that teach people that God really doesn't have a whole lot of rules and regulations. But we've seen throughout Deuteronomy that there are rules because there is love. There are rules because there is love. Your parents loved you by saying, don't go play out in the street. Don't eat all that candy. Go to bed at a certain time. And you didn't like it, right? You you still don't like it. You still don't like being told what to do. And so when God tells you what to do, you kind of gloss over it if you're like me. You're like, no, that's, that's, I don't understand that. See the, see, the problem is, is that we, like Israel, fall into this, this trap of thinking that We just can do whatever we see fit. And that was the indictment on God's people. Once they had entered into the promised land in the book of Judges, what was the the refrain throughout the book of Judges is that the people did whatever they saw fit. And they didn't understand that God loved them enough to give them parameters, to give them boundaries as to what that love was supposed to look like. There are specific lines God has drawn so that we aren't left wondering what we're supposed to be doing in life. See, the key difference of what we see in the Bible and what I just gave as the bad examples in other churches is that those bad examples are motivated by convictions that aren't really grounded in Scripture. It's okay to have your convictions. That's a good thing. It's a good thing to say, you know what, I don't feel like I need to go see that movie or see that TV show. Or I don't need to eat that certain kind of food or drink alcohol. Those are okay. Those are convictions. But the problem is, is many churches take those convictions and make them into law. 
See, the key difference is, is that where the Bible is clear, there's a reason for that clarity. Where the Bible is not so clear, there's freedom of conviction. Okay? And so, I asked you a question in my, my email this past week, and I'm curious, just by you know, show of hands, who spent some time thinking about that? Why is there one place of devotion? That's the, the question I asked. Did, did anybody spend time thinking about that this week? Is it an interactive time? Yep. We're not so fuddy-duddy, and, and so we, you know, we can't move. So Jason was the only one. That's okay. We're going we're gonna to work on that today. Why is there one place? Of, I spent time thinking about it. I felt like I needed to if I asked you the question. And I came up with about ten different reasons. Jason, how many did you come up with? Good. Four. Four reasons. Yep. I think we'll probably, they'll probably be overlapping together. I'm not going to go through all the ten reasons. I'll, I'll give that in the weekly email uh, this, 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 uh, in the next day or two. I'm not, yeah, so I'm not going to go through those, but I'm going to focus on one. And I bet, Jason, your, your four were probably in line with the, with the one that, that we're going to see here. Because the main reason given in our text, that's what we're going to be spending time on. The, there's a main reason for all of these other ten reasons why God said this chosen place, this one place of devotion. And then there are all these other reasons underneath it, these sub-reasons. And so we're going to be looking at this main reason, which is... And this is the main reason over all of this section of 12 through 26. The main reason why God chooses one place of devotion is there is one place because there is one God. There is one place because there is one God. And so what follows in chapters 12 through 26 of Deuteronomy is a detailed explanation of the Ten Commandments that we saw in chapter 5. So what Moses is doing from 12 through 26 is he's saying, okay, here's all these Ten Commandments. Let me elucidate what that looks like, what it looks like to keep the Sabbath day holy, what it looks like to not covet your neighbor's belongings, what it looks like to love God and him alone. And we see here in our chapter 12 the first two commandments, don't we? That you shall have no other gods before me, and you shall not have idols before me. So there is one place where there is one God, and, and I can I can venture to say, you might be thinking, Matt, that doesn't really appear like a great revelation from this text. You know, that's really I knew that there was one God. That's not a big idea, but you know, because I'm, I'm sitting here in church in 2019, but I can promise you that 3,700 years ago, that that was a big deal. Can you remember all of the gods that were swirling around in Egypt? That Israel was saved out of all the gods that were in the land of promise that they were getting ready to go into. And then all of a sudden there's one God who says that there is one place. This is how I will be worshipped. You will not be like the other people. And so God in Deuteronomy 12, in fact, all of all of this text, really from, from chapter five on the Lord is drawing a line in the sand. The Lord is planting a flag in the ground and saying, you will not worship me like all the people that you know before and all the people that you're going to be interacting with. But you're going to worship the Lord your God in my prescribed way because, why? I love you. Right? We've looked at that multiple times already. So let's look at Deuteronomy chapter 12. I'm going to just read the whole chapter to get the lay of the land. But keep that in mind. There's one place... Because there is one God. And see if you can't surmise that from what we read here. Deuteronomy chapter 12. 
These are the statutes and rules that you shall be careful to do in the land that the Lord, the God of your fathers, has given you to possess all the days that you live on the earth. You shall surely destroy all the places where the nations whom you shall dispossess served their gods. On the high mountains and on the hills and under every green tree, you shall tear down their altars and dash in pieces their pillars and burn their asherim with fire. You shall chop down the carved image of, images of their gods and destroy their name out of that place. You shall not worship the Lord your God in that way. But you shall seek the place that the Lord your God will choose out of all your tribes to put his name and make his habitation there. There you shall go, and there you shall bring your burnt offerings and your sacrifices, your tithes and the contribution that you present, your vow offerings, your freewill offerings, and the firstborn of your herd and of your flock. And there you shall eat before the Lord your God, and you shall rejoice, you and your households, in all that you undertake, in which the Lord your God has blessed you. You shall not do according to all that we are doing here today, everyone doing whatever is right in his own eyes. For you have not as yet come to the rest and to the inheritance that the Lord your God is giving you. But when you go over the Jordan and live in the land that the Lord your God is giving you to inherit, and when he gives you rest from all your enemies around so that you live in safety, then to the place that the Lord your God will choose to make his name dwell there, there you shall bring all that I command you. Your burnt offerings and your sacrifices, your tithes and the contribution that you present and all your finest vow offerings that you vow to the Lord. And you shall rejoice before the Lord your God, you and your sons and your daughters, your male servants and your female servants and the Levite that is within your town since he has no portion or inheritance with you. Take care that you do not offer your burnt offerings at any place that you see. But at the place that the Lord will choose in one of your tribes, there you shall offer your burnt offerings, and there you shall do all that I am commanding you. However, you may slaughter and eat meat within any of your towns as much as you desire, according to the blessing of the Lord your God that he has given you. The unclean and the clean may eat of it, as of the gazelle and as of the deer. Only you shall not eat the blood. You shall pour it out on the earth like water. You may not eat within your towns the tithe of your grain or of your wine or of your oil or the firstborn of your herd or of your flock or any of your vow offerings that you vow or your freewill offerings or the contribution that you present. But you shall eat them before the Lord your God in the place that the Lord your God will choose. You and your son and your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, the Levite who is within your towns. And you shall rejoice before the Lord your God in all that you undertake. Take care that you do not neglect the Levite as long as you live in your land. When the Lord your God enlarges your territory as he has promised you and you say, I will eat meat because you crave meat, you may eat meat whenever you desire. If the place that the Lord your God will choose to put his name there is too far from you, then you may kill any of your herd or your flock which the Lord has given you. As I have commanded you and you may eat within your towns whenever you desire. Just as the gazelle or the deer is eaten, so you may eat of it. The unclean and the clean alike may eat of it. Only be sure that you do not eat the blood, for the blood is the life, and you shall not eat the life with the flesh. You shall not eat it. You shall pour it out on the earth like water. You shall not eat it, that all may go well with you and with your children after you, when you do what is right in the sight of the Lord. 
But the holy things that are due from you and your vow offerings you shall take and you shall go to the place the Lord will choose and offer your burnt offerings, the flesh and the blood on the altar of the Lord your God. The blood of your sacrifices shall be poured out on the altar of the Lord your God, but the flesh you may eat. Be careful to obey all these words that I command you, that it may go well with you and with your children after you forever when you do what is good and right in the sight of the Lord. When the Lord your God cuts off before you the nations whom you go in to dispossess and you dispossess them and dwell in their land, take care that you be not ensnared to follow them after they have been destroyed before you and that you do not inquire about their gods, saying, How did these nations serve their gods that I also may do the same? You shall not worship the Lord your God in that way. For every abominable thing that the Lord hates, they have done for their gods. For they even burn their sons and their daughters in the fire to their gods. Everything that I command you, you shall be careful to do. You shall not add to it or take from it. There's a lot there and there's a lot of repetition, isn't there? It's almost as if the Lord, like a father, is saying something. Repeating it again and again, just in case you didn't get it the first time or the fourth time, to be able to say it again, because there's a point here. God wants his people to know that there is one place because there is one God. Right? There is one God. That's the first point. That's the overarching point for everything that falls after this chapter on into 26. That because there is one God, you should worship the God, Lord your God in this way. You don't have to wonder, what should I do next? What what should I do to be able to say thank you to God? Well, you bring your vow offerings, your burnt offerings. Did you hear that? That was repeated a couple times in here. There is one God, and we see that implicit in our text, don't we? Implicit in the first paragraph that we see here in verses 1 through 7 is that God gives the land to his people. God gives the land to his people, and the question is, how can he give them anything unless he owns it, unless he created it? He's not like every other tribal deity in that, in that, at that time. This is God saying, I am the, the Lord, the creator of all things. The earth is mine and everything in it, every person Every man, woman, and child, every grain of sand, every stalk of wheat is mine, and I give it to you because it's mine. And that's what God is saying in this passage, that there is one God, and he stands over all of these gods in Canaan. And he says, I will give it to you graciously, not because you earned it. You didn't plant any of these vineyards or any of these gardens, but I'm going to give it to you because I love you, and it's mine. You see, this isn't a very popular thing back 3,700 years ago. And it's really not very popular right now. And I think it bears saying yet again that there is one God over all gods. We live in a pluralistic society where everyone does as they see fit. And what is good for you is good for you. You worship your God in your way. You keep Jesus to yourself. And I'll go worship maybe if I want to. That's the world we live in. And so for you and me to go out into the world and say there's one God who stands over you, who created you, who owns you, it's not very popular. It's not very popular at all. It's, it's popular instead to make people who believe like you and me, people who believe in the Bible, not just as mere fuddy-duddies, as I said a moment ago, but as prudes, as bigots, as haters. 
out of touch with reality. Don't you all understand that we live in 2019? We don't live at the time of the Bible. Why don't you go ahead and hop on your on your mule and go do something? That, that's the, the world that we live in. And so it's it's not that far off, is it? Four thousand years ago. Isn't that isn't that different than right now where we live in a world where saying that there is one God over all gods is not very popular. You see, we're called fanatics, those who believe the Bible. But when we speak about God, and this, this is something that hopefully you can put in your arsenal, when we, when we talk about God, we're not talking about our favorite sports team. We're not talking about our favorite flavor of ice cream. We're not talking about what, we like, what restaurant we like to go to. This is the God, the creator of the universe. That's the God of the Bible. The creator of the universe who owns all things. And he graciously gives to whomever he pleases, as he pleases, when he pleases. That's the God of the Bible. And there's no other way to understand the God of the Bible. He's not just one deity among many. He's not just the Israelite God. That's what a lot of uh, scholars would like for you to think. that well, This is the Israelite God and, and, and they just happen to beat more people. And their, their, their documents survived, and therefore, that's why we have the Bible. No. The reason why the Bible survived is because he is the God who stands over Baal in the Asherim, in the Ashtoreth, right? He's the God who is over all those gods. That's why we have these, these manuscripts and these documents is because he is the God who stands over all these things, and he's preserved his word for us. It's not just because they've won more battles that we, that we worship the Israelite God. That's not why. Because the God of the Bible is the creator of all things. Creator of human beings, the creator of language, creator of all things. And he stands over all people. This is, this is the beautiful part, is that God, because he created all people, he stands over all people. He is inhabiting and moving around us at all times. All peoples, nations, tongues, ethnicities, they all belong to him. And that's why we can honestly and with love in our hearts say, worship the God who created you because he owns you. And it's not trying to one-up someone or trying to say, hey, we we got a, a better God. No, this is the God, the God of the Bible. You see, there was a there was a story of creation running around that time in the ancient Near East. You might want to write this down and, and look at it yourself. But it was called Enuma Elish. Enuma Elish. I'll, I'll, I'll give you the spelling for that some other time. But, but this is basically, Enuma Elish is a story of how creation started. Okay, you got, you got Apsu and Tiamat, and they created Ansar and Kisar, Anu, Nubimud, all these different gods. Okay, and then there was Chaos. That ensued because these gods created all this chaos and human beings were just subject to all of that chaos. That's the world. That's the Babylonian world. And that's the ancient Near Eastern world that Israel inhabited that. Wow, the gods really aren't that great They're They have a lot of issues. They got they got family drama and they're creating a lot of chaos. And you and I are just kind of subject to that chaos. And that is what is happening in Genesis. That's what's happening throughout the, the story of the Bible is that God is saying, no, 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 you, you, you heard this, but that's not the way it was. The, the God of creation has brought order to the chaos. He's the one who, stood, who stands over all these things. That's the story of the creation account saying, you know, friends, this is actually what happened. 
God created the earth in this way. It wasn't because God got together with someone else and they created all these gods and then they created seas and all this stuff. And so like lightning, God comes through the sky and he chooses Abraham out of this mix of people who Abraham was a star worshiper, right? We read that he was a moon worshiper just like his ancestors. And God, like lightning, breaks through, reveals himself to Abraham and says, you will not worship me in the way that your parents worship me. You won't worship me the way that all the other peoples of your neighbors worship me because I am the one who created the heavens and the earth and everything in it. He says, leave your country, leave everything that you know, your place, and go to the place that I will show you, Abraham. Go to the place that I will show you, Isaac and Jacob. Leave your country. Trust me. Listen to me and to me only. And know that I stand over all this chaos. And I will bring order to it, to this promised place. Don't worship me in the way that your parents worship me. So then the question then is, why is God so adamant to just one place that he'll choose? Do you see that in verse 5? Go to look at verse 5. He says, but you shall seek the place that the Lord your God will choose. He says it seven times throughout this chapter. And so there's something that the Lord wants you and me to get. If he repeats it seven times, he's saying, listen. There's a place that I will choose. See, why, why would that happen? Because to have a place meant that that's where that God was worshipped. So if you have many, many gods, you have many, many places that you can go. Right? And so the question is, where did all, all these gods come from? If, if this is true, if the God of the Bible is the one who stands over all these, where did all these gods come from? Did they reveal themselves to the people? Mm-mm. No, I'm convinced that all of these gods, both in Babylon and Egypt and Greece and Rome, all these idols are borrowed. They're stories. These stories of the multiple gods as a result of people making gods in their own image. See, they knew the God of the Bible. They knew that God had created all these things. And yet over time, they make idols out of what they think they should be doing. See, their ancestors knew the story of creation. They knew that the God of, of the Bible had created everything and that he stood over all these things. And over time, they just started to make all these different idols. You see that? Throughout our text, what, what do we see? That they make idols on every high hill and on every mountain and under every green tree. That, oh, wow, this is a, a great, prosperous land. Let's have the God of Canaan. Let's have the God of Egypt. Let's have, let's have the sun God. Let's have the moon God. Let's have the star God. Oh, there's multiple stars. Let's have multiple gods for those stars. And so over time, because people were not listening to what, what Adam and Eve had taught them and what Noah had taught them about the one God, and they did whatever they saw fit. Look at verse 2. You shall surely destroy all the places where the nations whom you shall dispossess served their gods, on the mountains and on the hills and every under, under every green tree. Verse 8. You shall not do according to all that we are doing here today, everyone doing whatever is right in his own eyes. Verse 13, take care that you do not offer your burnt offerings at any place that you see. Right? Don't do whatever you see fit. Do according to what, the God, what God has revealed to you. Because look at verse 29. 
When the Lord your God cuts off before you the nations whom you go in to dispossess, and you dispossess them and dwell in their land, take care that you be not ensnared to follow them. After they have been destroyed before you, and that you do not inquire about their gods, saying, How did these nations serve their gods, that I also may do the same? You shall not worship the Lord your God in that way. See, they they forgot the Lord's mercy and grace. Remember what we talked about forgetting being one of the streams of disobedience that you and I are prone to do? In fact, even this week, you and I have forgotten the Lord's goodness and we disobey because we don't then trust him. We don't remember his power. We've forgotten that he's good and that he's righteous and true altogether. This is the thing that we'll see in a few weeks as we walk through the book of Jeremiah. We'll be doing that in about uh, four weeks. We'll start looking through Jeremiah. But Jeremiah is going throughout and he's saying, you all think that you're safe because God has revealed himself to you, but you've forgotten. And you are just like every other nation. You've made idols for yourself. Even though you know the God of the Bible, you make idols on every mountain and on every hill. Look in chapter 2 of Jeremiah. I was just reading it this week. He, he says this very same language of the Canaanites. He says of Israel, you all have worshipped all these gods, even though I've revealed myself to you. And that's where I believe that's where that's my point about that all these stories. And if we're not careful, then we'll fall into idolatry as well. Right. We'll fall into idolatry when we forget the Lord, when we think like, hmm, if I can just have that, then I'll be happy. If I can just get that, then that will fulfill me. And God's saying, don't run after other gods like the Canaanites have and like the Egyptians have and like every other nation around you has. And so that brings us to our first and only sub-reason that I'm going to be going into this, this derivative reason. So if there's one God who stands over all and he's selected one place, what does that one place do? The one place preserves his people. That's one of the main, one of the, one of the first sub-reasons that I think merits throughout this text. One place to preserve his people. It's clear that the reason for cleansing the land was not only due to the Canaanites' evil. If you, um, I, I wrote on our church's blog about these abominable practices and the problems that you and I have with the cleansing of the land that we see when Joshua comes into the promised land. Hopefully that, hopefully that uh, brief little article will help in some way. So we know that it's not just because they are bad people who sacrifice like we saw in verse 31, who, who burn their sons and their daughters in the fire to their gods. It's not just because of that, but because of the tendency of each one of us to run after other things. So the Lord wants to preserve us by saying, nope, this is the way that I have chosen to reveal myself and in this way. Isn't that essentially what the, the parable of the Good Samaritan is that we just read a moment ago? Isn't that, isn't that what's happening? In some degree that you have a priest and you have a Levite on their way to the temple to go worship God. And God says, no, no, here, this, is, this is my plan for you. My plan for you is to take a detour and help this person because I delight in mercy. I delight in you taking your agenda and putting it to the side. Because sure, they, they had, they, I'm sure they had really good excuses. They're priests and a Levite. They probably are saying, I got to go to work. I don't have time to help this, this guy who's beaten up on the side of the road. 
I got to go sacrifice. That's a good thing. What if the, again, you can hear the prophets in your own mind like, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. You all have all of these wonderful things that you do for me, but your hearts are far from me. We can have the, the, the accoutrements of religion, and yet our hearts are dead inside. You and I don't have to make idols out of a graven image, but we do it with our calendars, don't we? We do it with our agendas. We do it with who we will and who we will not talk to. We make idols out of being accepted by other people, being in the cool crowd. We make idols all the time. And we don't have to put them up on our mantles over our fireplaces. That idolatry is rampant, running rampant throughout our hearts. And that's why we confess our sin each week too, isn't it? See, the Levite and the priest had made an idol out of their agenda. They had made an idol out of their own way of conceiving of God, as opposed to the way that he's clearly revealed himself. See, God said, I want you to see my mercy towards you by by showing mercy to this person who's beat up on the side of the road. But they didn't get to see it. And so in the same way, brothers and sisters, how have you busied yourself with things Kept yourself moving all the time when the Lord says time and again to stop. And see that I'm, I'm present right here with you. If you'll have the eyes to see that this conversation with your coworker, with your family member, with your friend, that's meant for me to reveal more of myself to you. But you and I are so quick to go on to the next thing, we don't see that God is in every single conversation. And so we make idols. We make idols. And we haven't really embraced or been captured by the fact that we serve the God of the universe, the creator of all things, the creator of all people. There's no pride in saying that. There's no pride in saying that this one God is the God over all gods. It's actually loving and gracious. It's loving and gracious to say, hey, look, God's revealed himself to me and to you through the person and work of Jesus. And so when you and I remain silent, we're no better than the Levite and the priest who run about our daily tasks. And we say, I'm so busy. I just said this just this morning. I'm so busy. I'm just so busy. And the Lord would say, stop. Start scratching stuff off. Because there are more important things in life than a Costco run, maybe. Right? Or, Or getting that new sofa. Or getting X, Y, or Z. The Lord is saying, will you not see that I am on the side of the road? And if you give a cup of cold water to someone in Jesus' name, if whatever you do to the least of these, you've done it to me. God is always wanting to reveal himself to you on the highways and on the byways to say, open your eyes and see that you've made an idol out of so many things. So I long for our church to embrace the fact that we are God's ambassadors. We're not just trying to give people an option for a better life. We're calling people to a place. We're calling them to worship God, the God who created them, the God who owns them. We're pleading with people, be reconciled to your maker. That, that's what we're doing in the gospel. We're not just kind of saying, I hope they like this. No, we're saying, be reconciled to God. 
the one who owns you. I pray that we would be so captured by that that we wouldn't be ashamed or embarrassed or silent or timid or shy, but instead that we would say, you know what, I am, I am an ambassador for the Lord Jesus Christ who bought me, who owns me, and who loves me in spite of what that person says or does to me. I pray that we as a church, as Christ the Redeemer, would be so convinced that not only of God's love, but his actions on your behalf, that you would say, I serve the Almighty God, the creator of heaven and earth. Right? Because, my friends, there is one place, and there is one hill that we invite people to come to. There's one hill that had one cross among three crosses. There was one man who was perfect. There was one place that God had said, this is my beloved son. The Lord calls all of us to come to that place where there is one cry of saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That one place where the weight of our burdens is thrown off. That one place where the blood of the man Jesus Christ has washed us. There's one place. There's one hill that you and I are called to go to again and again. That one place. No longer a temple on a hill, but a cross called Calvary. That we are called to go to again and again when we fail and saying, I need a Savior. I need to feel that burden lifted off of my shoulders. And when we go again and again, day after day, to that one place of devotion then we invite others to go with us. And we say, I've received mercy at this one place, at this one cross, by this one man. Will you come with me? That's my prayer for us, is that we would be convinced. And that we wouldn't just be thinking that we're bothering someone. But instead that we would be so convinced that we are ambassadors for Jesus. Be reconciled to God. And that day after day we go to that place. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we confess that we oftentimes busy ourselves with so many things. We have agendas, we have relationships, we have idols in our own hearts. And we come to you again and confessing our inability to love you as we ought and yet to throw ourselves on your mercy yet again in the person of Jesus because of his finished work. And we thank you that we are accepted by you not because of what we've done, but because of what Jesus has accomplished on that one place. We thank you for, for the gift of mercy. We pray that Father, you would open our eyes, that you would soften our hearts so that we would love and worship you again. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.